So how, on God's gray earth, did this... And this... And even this. Become this. where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, or it may be their worst album. But either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Just a heads up, we're still on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook groups, and if you send us a carrier pigeon, we will happily send it homing back to you with a copy of the uh, podcast on its beak. Uh, This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Millar. My name is Scott Livingston, and this week we have special guests, two of them, Jenny and Michael from the band Shiny Around the Edges. Uh, Say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Yes, we are. We're still recording in remote locations, which allows us to reach all the way up to like Fort Collins and such. So this is quite exciting. Um, This week, we're going to be talking. Well, (laughs) one thing at a time. (laughs) Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about the band X and their album Ain't Love Grand. So, um. I will let you guys take it away because I know almost nothing about the band X other than that name is almost as bad as the the who. <laughs> First base. <laughs> Guess who? Um, well, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, you guys might have to stop me because I could talk endlessly about this band. Um, they were such a, a, a huge part of my... Um, musical development um, and also just my uh, awakening as a human being um, sort of coincided with uh, my discovery discovery of this band and uh, I, I can't say enough great things about them and it's going to be a little difficult on this episode though there's a, there's a few you know um, 
odd things about this particular album, but they, they were uh, one of the four forerunners of Los Angeles punk rock. And this was punk rock before there was a formula for punk rock. Um, and they, they were definitely different and they were definitely artistic and poetic and they had a lot to say. And, um, um, and, and, uh, if you got into them, um, they sucked you right in with how, how, um, um, revealing they seem to be about the world around them and and about uh, you know the emotions that people were experiencing in the uh, in the in the early 80s anyway at least the emotions that I was experiencing and this album that we're going to talk about today I remember um okay this is this is kind of a weird story so just bear with me right so so I'm at I'm at university and uh, my, my family is uh, pretty conservative, you know, and uh, Reagan was president. And uh, so this is this is, uh, you know, early 80s and all of that. Um, I was the same way. I go to college. I start to learn things. I come home. I come home after the first year. I discover the movie uh, Repo Man. And uh, not long after that movie, Sid and Nancy came came out. I go back to school. I head to my uh, friend Carol's dorm room and say, what do you got? And she hands me a stack of punk records, um, of which were the first four X albums. I quickly copied them to tape, knowing nothing about them. And I think I listened to those tapes for two years straight. And um, when this album came out, Ain't Love Grand, I was so excited. I ran to the record store. I bought it. I put it on. I think I've probably listened to it in its entirety, maybe three or four times. And then I'd be like... I'm going to listen to my tapes some more. That's, that's what I did. Right? And, um, but, um, just as evidence, I know the viewers at home cannot see this, but, um, <laughs> vinyl, it's a, it's got a fantastic, oh, yeah. Yeah. It everything, everything, everything about this album screamed, this is going to be awesome. And, and so, how many times has that been played, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, um, I, I, I bet there's not a scratch on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, just I am not as cool as you guys. <laughs> oh, and, oh, I didn't I didn't come to cool music till much later in my life. Like, cause I know with you you talking mad and in the eighties, you know, you came to X when they were like a vibrant band and, and Mike too over here. But I kind of, um, when I was, I was at a different place in, in my life at that age, I was listening to like Michael Jackson and, and, you know, and, and R and B and stuff that I love, I still stand behind, but I didn't come till X till much later. And, um, and like, but once I heard them and it was probably you that introduced them to me. Um, I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like so much about it, like what you said, Matt, like the storytelling, the poetry of their music um, and, and the, the vocals, the great vocals, the great oh, harmonies, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the punk rockness of it, but also the complexity of it that, I mean, so much of it. So I came to it all like way after the fact. Um, and, and we lived in Los Angeles for a while. Um, Michael and I did. That's where we started Shiny Around the Edges. And we saw them play once or twice there. I can't remember. I think we saw them twice. And, and oh my God. Yeah. They're, they're such one a great of the band. best live bands they're just a great band ever, too. ever. Yeah. And when we were living in Texas in Denton, um, it wasn't X that played, but John Doe and Exene. What's the name? The, the Knitting? The Knitters. The Knitters. The Knitters. Which are also great. And they did a few X songs and we're like, but um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, just to just to kind of chime in, like so I and Jen was in the next cover band. I did. It was like a which was great too. Awesome. Yeah, well, we did. There was a one-off. There was like a show, a big show, or different, wasn't it? Um, yeah, every band kind of did a different band for the yeah. night. Yeah, 
which they do a lot now for Halloween all over the cross the country. But. Yeah. And so we did like, you know, Johnny Hit and Run Pauline, Los Angeles, um, um, year one. Oh, I mean, all that. that was great. Yeah, it was yeah. so yeah. much fun. But but just to say, you know, for me, um, thinking about there, and I've been thinking about those that time when I was just, I mean, on my running, um, uh, you know, running playlist, sometimes it was just all X songs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and just coming to them later and now, really never, I had never really listened to this record until you asked us to do this and Mike and I were talking about it. Um, so anyway, well, well, I know we're going to talk about the record, but it's interesting. Um, but I love X <laughs> as much as you do, but it just came to it. I wish I was cooler when I was... <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late to experience great things. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I, I found out about X because uh, back in the... Late 90s, uh, a friend of mine had uh, procured via eBay um, two bootleg copies of two movies that were very, very out of print at the time. And they were X, the unheard music a documentary about X and the decline of Western civilization and not the hair metal crap. It was the punk rock one. And I really, really remember X having a big impact because the bass player was the lead singer and the front man in this band, which was pretty uh as a punk rock bass player at the time i was kind of being uh told that i was the lame guy in the band and that uh i was completely superfluous and could be uh replaced if the guitar player would just turn up a little bit more um and so uh <laughs> they had a really big impact on me i went out and bought a bunch of records um, in fact the first one that i probably bought was a, i mean a cd was the x anthology which had quite a bit of the first four or five records on it. Um, <clears throat> and then one or two songs from this. And I've always wondered where the hell those crappy, crappy songs came from. I think there's even a knitter's <laughs> song or two on that anthology just to kind of, uh, round out the whole, uh, mythology. And, um, uh, X is fantastic. Um, they're, they're simultaneously really sleazy and sophisticated. Um, I I don't I'm not sure for sure, but I think you know like DJ the drummer is Doctor Bone Break at at uh, UCLA or something. He's like, like teaches uh, 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 orchestral percussion and things like that. He's yeah, a very skilled musician. Yeah, uh, you know uh, uh, Billy Zoom is was a, a legendary badass guitar player before he had anything to do with X. Uh, Xene is professionally a crazy person in like the coolest way possible. And John Doe is a tremendously fantastic songwriter, a ridiculously underrated bass player and a really good guitar player. And just as a performer, amazing. And the, the two X stories that I have both involve uh, ex girlfriends. And the first <laughs> one is that uh, my ex girlfriend at the time, many years ago, the first story, uh, was uh, not too impressed by X, didn't like him, thought it was sloppy, wondered why the hell their harmonies were all fucked up sounding and just bizarre and didn't really get it. And uh, on a trip up to Philadelphia, that they, they were doing the, uh, this would be early 2000s, and they were doing the, you know, playing the album Los Angeles from start to finish with the original band. And, um, and so she was going to visit some friends in Philadelphia from DC, and X was playing... Los Angeles in its entirety with Billy Zoom and the whole band like near where she was staying. And I begged her, I was like, just 
get go to this show like bring me a t-shirt or something bring me a sticker like because I, I don't know if they'd skip cds or, or they'd, they'd skipped uh, playing in dc or they they had uh um already played and i'd missed it but i was like go to the show bring me a shirt you know bring me a sticker anything just go see it she's like i don't really i don't really like this you know whatever and so trip goes by i go to pick her up from the bus station and i like pull up she gets off the bus and she has an x t-shirt on and a stack of merch and crap under her arms it's just like <laughs> that was the coolest shit i've ever seen in my life that was unbelievable they're great i get it now it like and then the 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 next one is just going to see john doe who you know loves to play at the lion's lair for god knows why uh <laughs> whenever he plays in in denver but with a, a different ex-girlfriend who was, you know, kind of liked ex okay, but we had to maybe be dragged into this show a little bit kicking and screaming. We went and saw John Doe play a solo show, which was really just him with an acoustic guitar wow. playing some ex songs and a bunch of cowboy tunes and a bunch of John Doe bluesy originals for like two and a half hours. Okay. I think there was one and a half opening bands. You know, there were both punk bands that played like, 20 minute sets and he just and so by the end of that set like my you know the person that i dragged kicking and screaming to this gig was like weeping wow. you know and so they are badass they are performers in an old school vaudevillian way they can play any style of music even you know if they were to play a style of music as a joke they would be positively nailing it and just an awesome band and uh yeah how did they how did they get here yeah <laughs> we have to figure this out <clears throat> yeah this is a weird one i have a really quick story since you just were telling your john doe stories um i have just a real short one um when uh, I, you weren't with me, my, my friend Katie and I, <laughs> um, we go to shows together and it, when Mike and I go to shows together, this is in Texas and this was the show, maybe it was John Doe solo or maybe it was the knitters and maybe, I don't forget, anyway, um, so my friend Katie and I are there and we're having some beers, you know, <laughs> some beers and seeing him and, um, you know, John Doe is handsome, he is a, a handsome man and um, he's also very personable, so, you know, we, we were, we're both crazy, you know, we we're ex-fans, see the show and he's just hanging out, you know, selling merch, talking to people and he, he doesn't drink any anymore, I think he's been sober for, or, I mean, I'm not, you know, but, um, but he, so we went and we were like, we have to go say hi to him. So we're like, we just want to say thank you for being awesome. We love your music. And he was being cool. He's like, he's like, you ladies, <laughs> he did something like, you ladies driving home tonight? We're like, we're, we're walking. We're okay. <laughs> we're not, we're not, he was like sincerely, he was sincerely like, like what was like, and I would, I, we, we, Katie and I still talk about that. Like, first of all, we were just like so girly, like, you know, um, uh, crazy to be, you know, happy to be talking to him, but like kind of almost like a, a horrified. It's like someone that's your idols, like, <laughs> you know, but he was very, I, I think about how cool that was that he actually cared that, you know, so anyway, that's my John Doe story aside from just being a fan. Yeah. Well, I guess I will pipe in with my ex story. I had never listened to a single note of theirs until we agreed to do this podcast. So I decided to listen to nothing but Ain't Love Grand for two weeks. And I've oh, only good. listened to anything else by them this morning. 
So I only know them by this album. And I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. These guys suck. (laughs) Fair enough. I think you have to, I think you have to know them as a band before that record or, and and, yeah, in order to understand what's good about that record. I think it, for me, it's always about kind of hearing the band and the other records and then being like, you know what, as well, this is not so bad. It's, (laughs) <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's not so bad that. Uh, but, but I would. I would. Uh, this is. This is my interpretation of this. I mean, there, there's a bunch of. You know, they've talked about it online and stuff. And you know, sometimes artists, their stories change over the years, and they disavow some things. They like other things. Um, but, but is my recollection, if it, if it holds at all, one of the things that was going on is X was becoming very popular. They had a hardcore cadre for a hardcore band of fans that really love them. The critics like them a lot. You know, there was a lot to appeal to, you know, like, like they're, they're awesome shows, but also, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the poetic nature of their, their lyrics. And, and, and like, and like you said, Jenny, the, the kind of, um, the mix of, of rawness, uh, and musicianship and, and, um, um, those, those two singers singing together. It was just, it was, you know, just incredible. Um, and I think they began to get really frustrated that they're looking around at a bunch of crap bands hitting the big time and they're, they're not right. And, and I remember, uh, in one interview, Xine, she said something like, uh, oh yeah, we have this song called desperate, you know, which is a fantastic song by the way. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, she said, yeah, someday she goes, you know, someday people are going to look at us like after they've paid $6 to see us play and they're going to be like, oh yeah, these people aren't desperate, desperate. Right. So, so, you know, their big goal was to get, be able to charge $6 for a ticket to see their show. Right. And, and, uh, you know, they're like on American bandstand they're, they're getting publicity, right? Like, and they're just, it's just not breaking. And, and, um, um, uh, what, what happened was, is, is at that time, uh, a new style of production was being extremely successful, you know, this kind of glossy heavy metal production. And they were like, well, we're a heavy band. We should be able to sound like that and sell a buttload of records if we, if we do this. And, um, you know, so I think they went to Germany or they brought in some German, German yeah, engineer. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, sure it who it was. was. Yeah. Who was the original yeah. guitarist in, um, uh, Accept. In Accept, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, Dawkin, uh, Except is awesome. Skid Rose, first album, Extreme. Yeah, he was like the metal, hair metal producer for years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like if if you can if you can make those bands sound awesome, why can't you make us sound awesome, right? You know, and, and I think that that um, it was just a it was just a misstep because what you know. X doesn't need to be recorded badly to sound good. It's just that their style of music is far more rootsy than what a metal band is. And, and a production like that doesn't benefit from, from a lot of, um, you know, overdubbing and, and careful attention to, you know, overly careful attention to meter and that sort of thing. It's a, um, you know, it's a, um, it didn't work, right? Is is I guess what what happened, and and I think it it didn't work so badly that that um, uh, Billy Zoom ends up quitting the band, and um, and they they kind of stagnate for, you know, they they produce, you know, they have a few things come out here and there, but as a band, they kind of just 
nothing great comes out again for another 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't understand what, what the point you make about them being big and like their documentary, the unheard music is such an apt title for that. But a lot of people don't understand in Los Angeles, you know, you have bands that have thousands of people go to shows that are unknown outside of the city. Mm. And if you think about it, so here's X at the time, it's like 84, 85, you know, thousands of people are going to their shows. They're on a major label at that point. And yep. across the country, no one still really knows about them, but their friends from the punk scene, you had the Go-Go's who had a uh, beauty and beat was 1982 and that blew up. Vacation in 83, also a huge selling album. Yeah. Uh, Susanna Hoffs was part of the whole Paisley Underground and punk and that, that yeah. these things hit, you know, finally got it together with the Bangles. And that was all over the place was 84. And then uh, uh, was a different, uh, I wrote it down, different light. Yeah, it was 1986. You know, they're selling, uh, moving, they're moving units, you know, without a doubt. Right, right. And then probably the, the biggest analogy I can make is Oingo Boingo, which was absolutely gigantic in Los Angeles for years, and you would not have heard them on the radio anywhere else. They would sell out these, you know, several thousand seat um, theaters. Well, then they finally hit with Dead Man's Party in 85. So you have to think that John Doe and Xene were just like looking at each other like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> right, right. We're just yeah. as good, if not better, than a lot of these bands. And we're on a major label too, and we can't get there. And they're friends with them. And they're friends and with them. part of their, so, like, their scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially the Go-Go's. Yeah, they're all involved. Yeah. What, what's uh, Belinda Carlisle was in uh, uh, The Germs for a little bit. You know, so there's all yeah. that, that crisscrossing. And so you can, I, don't, I don't blame them for thinking, man, we want to hit because well, all their friends have it. And, and me being a, a big metal fan as well, I, I kind of, you know, in the abstract, I thought, oh, this will be cool. But, yeah. you know, yeah. somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, we should point out that X as a punk band in, you know, American punk rock music is an absolute trailblazer. They're one of the first punk bands. Their contemporaries are like the plugs and, you know, the weirdos and mm -hmm. like shit that just died after they released like a single, if, if anything, yeah. you know, there's plenty of bands that are nothing but some Xeroxed flyers to this day that were the, were their original contemporaries. In the decline of Western civilization, you get the sense that, hey, the circle jerks are these wasty speed freak idiots who like barely have can hold a band together. And that X is just, you know, in the decline, X and fear just come across as being the bands that are professional as hell. Yeah. Like they've been, yeah. you know, all yeah. like they can do this shit for breakfast. Yeah. And and have been at it for a while. They're grizzly, grizzly veterans by the time that punk is really, uh, you know, making it all over the country. Yeah. And part of the reason it's making it all over the country is because X and Black Flag and bands like that were just touring mercifully. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, John Doe's books that, you know, there's two of them that he's written recently. I think one of them's called uh, Under the Big Black Sun and one of them's called More Fun in the New World. Um, the first one kind of covering the punk stuff in LA and the other one sort of covering more of the Paisley underground kind of stuff. They're really good, but he, he talks about how they toured so much and 
even in these Midwestern, like dead Midwestern towns where the factory had closed down like 10 years ago, there would be a thousand people who would come to see him in a tiny shit bar. And it was just really confusing to them, you know, how they were not able to break and sell a lot of records or have a hit record because, you know, that's not what they were seeing when they were touring the country. They were seeing that they were beloved by lots of people across lots of different, you know, social strata and all that stuff. And I don't know, maybe the maybe the record industry is uh, <laughs> perhaps the the problem or maybe it's that stupid band name i'm telling you x it's very hard to look up i had a heck of a time finding this out i, love I, that it's funny. Band name. I think it's a great band yeah. name yeah I, I think it's great too but uh, i just saw a recent a recent thing with xine and she said that was my fault she said i was i did not know about the internet and what would happen when you had a name like x that would be completely unsearchable <laughs> But, you know, they, you know, I think, yeah, it is a great band name. And the same thing with, uh, you know, her name, you know, being Exene and John, you know, taking that John Doe moniker. It's like they're they're what they're 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 kind of uh, um, this sort of non-existent entity or just, you know, sort of the what was it? Do you remember, um, uh, you know, in the, the 70s? Remember all that that generic um stuff you could buy at the grocery oh, yeah, store that yeah. had the exact same labels so and the Ralph the Ralph's brand right, right. I think it's kind of like you know and it goes along with the unheard you know the unheard music it's like they're they're and uh, the unknown comic right right <laughs> <laughs> well yeah most weird people would recognize it as the the public image limited uh, album cover which right. was stolen from flipper so the flipper album cover yes <laughs> Hey, my, uh, I had cousins, uh, no offense, cousins, if you're listening, but, um, they, they, uh, my aunt, my aunt, they didn't have a ton of money. She had eight kids and, um, they did generic everything, you know, peanut butter, powdered milk, whatever bologna, cigarettes, you know. <laughs> yeah. I remember that being, ever, did they stop making like, who even made that? Was that a government thing? I never really thought of that before, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they just became store brands. Uh, the logo from the yeah, the logo that you'd recognize from Repo Man or um, uh, the, the Flipper cover or the Pill cover would be uh, with the Ralph's brand generic. Uh, so, so also a very LA kind of thing, like West Coast kind of thing. I never knew that. Okay. Huh. Yeah. The, yeah, cigarettes are Marlboros and the and the beer is Schlitz. So you know, oh. <laughs> red blooded American, generic. This is educational. Even I'm learning something. Today. Yeah, see, <laughs> they had generic beer too. I remember yeah. that. Just a beer. How you could get worse than Buckhorn? I don't know. You have to work yeah, at, it. at it. <laughs> well, do we want to spin this record or? Oh, we're excited, yes. This is <laughs> this is the first record apparently not produced by Ray Manzarek of The Doors, too, which I, I'm not quite sure how he's related or how he got involved, but there oh, you yeah, go. Oh, yeah, this is important to come. Yeah, 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 yeah we, we should talk about it just a little bit, right? It's like, a, yeah, Ray Manzarek, actually, that, this is a big, you know, this was the big tie-in for me. I, I was, you know, because I have older older brothers uh, that, that really introduced me to, to rock and roll, so 
I listened to a lot of stuff that was not really of my of my uh, immediate generation, like The Doors. Right? I had a. I remember my my brother bought me L.A. Woman when I was eight or something, um, and so so I, I you know so I had you know so I love I love The Doors, and and uh, when when I saw Ray Manzarek on that album, I was like, oh, this has to be cool. And on that on um, and when they did that cover of Soul Kitchen, I was like, oh my god, this is this is the best thing ever, and, and uh, um, you know it, it's what it what it's what uh, created a continuity. I really think from early rock and roll through the sort of hippie rock to to X, you know, it, it's there's kind of a straight line there. Yeah, and there's in, in the Los Angeles music history again. There's there like there's so many bands that come out of cities like New York and and elsewhere. Whereas Los Angeles seems to produce these iconic bands that kind of connect with each other a little bit. And I've always thought that was an interesting connection between you know what was going on in the late '60s, early '70s with the Doors. And then it kind of morphed into X, what they were doing. And I think you could kind of almost continue with that uh, in a way a little bit with Jane's Addiction. It's like you have, yeah. it seems like fewer bands that come out of Los Angeles, but the ones that do are so iconic. Uh, where you have like Tool after that, and it keeps going. Whereas New York, there's just the tons of bands that come out of it. Yeah. I don't know. Are the Melvins out of L.A.? They've been based out of L.A. for like 30-plus years. Yeah. They're really a... They're originally Aberdeen. Were like oh, right, right, Seattle yeah. band. Yeah. Right, yeah. They would say they're an L.A. band. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of great stories there about uh, the Melvins and uh, San Francisco. And uh, the heiress to... Was it Folgers? Oh, they're... Well, that's a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think Ray Manzarek, I think he he, he funded or, or got the funding for their first their first two albums, which you know led to them getting on Electra for their for their next two. Um, so he had a huge impact on on X becoming you know more exposed to the the rest of us. You know, without a doubt, I suspect they they kind of felt that. Um, uh, for whatever reason, maybe erroneously, maybe they're just exhausted, but I think they felt that maybe he was the reason they were being held back. Mm. I was wondering how, yeah, how are, is our, and I, I did some searching on interviews, but I didn't do, spend a lot of time with it. How did he feel about this? <laughs> about, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, not, mm. not only not producing this record, but them going in such a different direction with this guy, this, you know, that produces, I, I wonder if, if there was any fallout in terms of their relationship with him because of that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, I do know that, that not long before um, Ray died, he did, he did make a few appearances with X. So they, they must've repaired whatever damage had been done. Um, but, it, but it could have been too, is, you know, um, I mean, I, I really don't know. I just yeah. pure speculation. He, he could have just been, been um, well, it's your career. Do what you want. Right. Mm. It could have been that. Right. And I watched the bandstand, the American bandstand. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Where they perform um, the, the first song, the, the, the single, and um, and Burning House of Love. And afterward, you know, Dick Clark comes up and interviews them, and um, it's which is great. It's a great interview. Xene is wacky and wonderful, and they're so smart. Um, but they talk about the producer, Wagner, what's his last name? I think Wegeman. Wegeman, um, one of those German. Wagner. Wagner. No, no, Wagner. Wagner. And she said, she's like, he's such a great producer. We're so lucky to have made this record with him. She has a thing. She's like, he's also a great engineer and makes things sound great. If you watch the little after they perform, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> 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 but then I was thinking to myself, 
I wonder, and I know we're going to talk about this, if they really believed that, because I think we're all musicians and we've been in, yeah. uh, you know, recording and you listen to things and you sometimes, and in that, during that time period, I know I've gone back and listened to things that I thought at the time I thought was so great. I'm like, or, or the opposite, right? But I wonder if they really did right. convince themselves that it was, you know, great. Time, you know, time gives you more perspective. But, um, but yeah, she was very much, she was very, um, she was celebrating him. And I was like, oh. Yeah, well, so, sometimes you just want things to be true, right? <laughs> yeah. I, you know... I was gonna ask everybody what their their favorite uh, X album is. We know what Scott's is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's grand. It's grand. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop listening to it, right, Scott? <laughs> uh, I can now. We're recording. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, um, one of my favorite. I mean, it's probably tied um, for my favorite X album is uh, like the one before this is great. Like new, n more, more fun is fantastic. It has some more of my favorite songs on it. It is great, great album. Even the, even the filler on it is better than any, it, like kicks the shit out of the best songs on this album. Um, it and, kicks the uh, shit out of the best songs on a lot of music. Yeah, from yeah, the 80s, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. It's, it's a really good album. Um, and, uh, it was the last, it was the one that the last one they had produced by Ray. And, um, yeah, I'm just, it, they were onto something and I get that they weren't getting rich doing the really cool thing that they were doing, but, and that they, they sure probably wanted to, you know, pay their rent and eat and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's funny that they, you know, they took the original X thing to, I mean, it seemed to just get it, be getting better and better, both songwriting, musicianship wise, like they were just being more and more X and then, and then this. Yeah. Well, didn't John and Xene get divorced right before this album came yeah. out? So that might have something to do with it, it as well. They may also have been like, look, if this is not going to make us money, we, we got to do something else. Yeah. By the way, did you guys know that she was also, she was married to John Doe and then she was married to Vigo Mortenstein. I didn't so, know so, that. Yeah, yeah so, so she, she has a, a she has a type, tall, dark, and handsome, right? Yeah. yeah. And she has a daughter, right? Or maybe, maybe even more than I know when we saw them, um, when I saw that show, the knitter show, uh Xene also did a solo set, um, and she was selling her stuff, um, her own solo things, and her I'm pretty sure it was her daughter was hmm. with her. Um and no, I wasn't really into the, her solo her solo record. The one that I I bought a CD from her, and I don't even know if I still have it. She, but. she has one once. Uh, I have a a few of her solo albums. There's one. There's one that is. I oh, can't remember the name. I will think of it. It really? is so good. Ooh, yeah. Let me know. Let me know. I think it was her. I think it was her first one. Um, okay. But I, it'll it'll come she, to me. Is she playing guitar on that one? Um, I think she has Tony Gilkinson play a lot of guitar. Okay, because it's um, uh, 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 I can't remember his damn name. The the rancid bass player, um, Matt Free. It's Matt Freeman playing bass and DJ on drums. So I mean, mm -hmm. that's a pretty okay rhythm section, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, with sloppy punk power chord guitar and X scene. Oh yeah. Let me know, Matt, if you, when you think of the name of that, cause I know the CD I bought was not, it wasn't not, I'm sure it's not this one because it, um, it was, it was, it, yeah. I think you might be thinking of antichrist. 
Is that Antichrist? Yeah, yeah. Like but anti, that, like right? my anti, my anti yeah, yeah, yeah. She has an album called yeah. Antichrist. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, the no, the one I'm thinking about it's definitely it's definitely folky, but yeah. the, but the yeah. songs are just really good. Also, I don't know if there's a comprehensive list anywhere, but look for songs that Exine has sung on by, like the the plug song "Mindless Contentment" has uh, Exine in there. Um, and just listen to it. You'll be, I remember the first time I heard that song, I was like, ugh, what is that? Out of tune, out of tune noise. It sounds like Xene. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Atonal, yeah. Yeah. But it sounds um, so good when she does it with John Doe, though. It's, oh, yeah. Yep. That's one of those things. It's like, she's, she's the one who's allowed to get away with that. Oh, yeah. Like, but um, burning house of love. All right. It's a Talking yeah. Heads cover, right? Guitars come in. It, it definitely has that weird, you know, like a. I am um, the tiger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I was thinking of um, a golden earrings, you know, Twilight Zone or something mm-hmm. like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't. I don't like this. I mean, John Doe's voice sounds good. Like he's yeah. singing, like he's singing with all the set, the passion and that genuine grittiness that he does. So that the delivery, like in terms of like you know, but yeah, I think it's I think it's the guitar yeah. tone and the drumming, like everything. Yeah, it's the eye of the tiger. <laughs> I can I can hear the cocaine. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's a, you know, um, yeah, and DJ, DJ uh, Bonebreak, the drummer, he's, he's so inventive and it seems like they're really holding him back. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's this very, that very standard kind of, yeah. Four on the floor. Yeah. yeah. You guys mentioned the, the song We're Desperate earlier and in one of my earliest punk bands, I, somebody was like, yeah, let's play that X song. And the drummer was like, tried to make sense of it for uh, you know, about 20 seconds before he was like, I'm not going to play that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think like you said, Matt earlier, or someone said that they're not a band. I mean, they're, they're this, I mean, ma- amazingly talented, but they're not a band that plays in this kind of, you know, mm. it, they're, they're punk it's, and it's fast and it's, and it's, 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 they're tight. I mean, they're so tight, but it's that kind of like, yeah, that, 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 that drumming does, it cuts out the inventiveness it cuts out the kind of spark and fire of it um, i agree uh, so much but i think the song if we can just talk about you know a, yeah. a, a catchy song burning yeah. house of love i mean it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's i can see why they led with it on this particular record you know oh, it's, the, it's definitely the hit it's everything. Yeah. It's but you know it's not too challenging. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think it even I think it even charted. 
I think it, I remember it seeing it on MTV. I looked it up it today. It charted at like eighty nine, or or at like go hit eighty nine. Yeah. But it, it made it to the top one hundred anyway. Yeah. 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 Not the the breakthrough they were hoping for, yeah. but you know, yeah. better than I've ever done. So well, that's why I kind of find this interesting, and you know, like, I, I like think like who's could do like when I went to Warner Brothers. You know, in actuality, the album "Flip Your Wig" was, I believe, what Warner Brothers wanted, and they, for whatever reason, decided to give it to SST. And I argue that's a way more commercial album than. Candy Apple Grey that they put out on Warner Brothers. And I, I look at this and I think, you know, the better album for the hits was See How We Are that came out after this Oh, album. yeah, yeah. Like that. In fact, I think Fourth of July was kind of a hit. Yeah, I think it, I think that was a hit. I think that charted too, Fourth yeah. of July. And that was a Dave Elvin, a Dave Elvin uh, uh, joint. <laughs> Joint, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either he penned it or he penned it with John Doe, one of the two, yeah. I wonder, I don't know enough about it. I wonder if they tried as hard to have a commercial breakthrough with that album as they did with this one, because that one I feel like is a much more commercially breakthroughing album. Yeah, I, I you know, now that you mentioned that, I, I remember that album came out too, and and I, I, uh, I listened to it quite a bit. A part of it was because I was so attached to X, I really wanted it to be a great album, and and I think it I think it is a good album, uh, but but um, it's not the same without Billy Zoom. Yeah. It's a different it's yeah. a different band, you know. But um, but even that song Fourth um, of July, it's a good it's a it's a good song. Yeah, it's one of their yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I think I think and and it does have a it does have a. Uh, I guess a commercial sound that album does, but it's, it's definitely not the same direction as this one. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like in, it's in some ways like the replacements of all those bands that jumped to major labels at that time. And they seem to have the best handle on what they should sound like in a major label setting. And I, I wonder if that's why they were so successful with that is because they, they seem to work with the right producers. It was mixed correctly. You know, they didn't bring someone in that did Guns N' Roses to mix it or anything crazy like that. And, and I often wonder, Dockin. like, I'd be interested in, you know, Dockin. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested to read about that. Like, because for, yeah. of all bands that were complete catastrophic messes, it was definitely the replacements. But they seem to have dealt with the major label transition far better than the other bands, which always was kind of curious. Oh, by the way, I saw Dockin live. Um... It, yeah, here in Denver at the old Rainbow Music Hall, it was it was a uh, rocket. Uh, I didn't I didn't have earplugs. It was the most painful concert I have ever been to. It was so loud, and and the, and the singer kept saying, "Should we turn it up?" And I'd be like, "Please God." No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what I remember. Well, I, I wanted to mention that you know one of my um, when did this. When did this thing come out? 85. 85. Okay. So one of my, one of my favorite bands is the meat puppets and they oh, yeah. had a, a similar, uh, fate of being just really accomplished musicians, but, and absolutely like trashy as hell, fuzzy as hell, just punk, punk as hell, just, just punk rock to the core. Um, and then in somewhere in the mid eighties, they started getting kind of overproduced 
However, those albums are still really good. Yeah. yeah. I really like, like, Forbidden Places is a fantastic, or what is it, Hidden, yeah, Forbidden Places is a fantastic record, and it's just slathered in the same kind of chorusy, solid state, cocaine guitar tone, <laughs> and... And it still works. It still sounds great. And so I don't know if the inspiration was perhaps waning a little bit yeah. or something, but for whatever reason, this really just like clobbers X and you lose, you know, uh, the, the kind of heart of, of, uh, of what they're about when cleaning it up too much. I think maybe too. And as we go through the songs, I think we'll hear it, um, you know, and, um, the songs just aren't as good as other X songs. I mean, I think not that they're bad, all the songs. I mean, I think especially as I've been listening to them more, I'm like I'm telling Mike, I'm like, you know what? This song, if it was produced differently, but I think when I think about songs like um, We're Desperate or Johnny Hit and Run Pauline or Lost and all these songs, they're really fucking good songs. They, they, they have know? a hook or a riff or a cool fucking lyric within the first like two seconds of the song where you're yeah. just like, yeah. I am in. Like, All this of is it, right. awesome. And we really, on this album, even in the best songs on this record, we see there isn't, there isn't that one that's just, I, at least I haven't heard it yet, but... But I think, yeah, you're, yeah. I think you're right. There is a, there's a there's a songwriting, and perhaps it's the place where the band is at. Yeah. Like, you know, we're talking relationship wise. It's their fifth we're, album. It's like, what do you want from people? My God, they have four yeah. amazing yeah. albums. Maybe they were tired. Maybe you should have bought some of those, those yeah. the previous four uh, yeah. amazing yeah. albums, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That'll teach you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You clearly don't like good music. We'll put this out. <laughs> that should have been the title. Yeah. <laughs> so is this next song uh, B-52's cover? Sure, sure. Why not? The last one was Talking Heads, B-52's. It all fits together. It's called Love Shack, but it's... Switches to the chorus, yeah. It's, it's a little. I'm glad you brought up the Go Go's because it sounds a lot like the Go Go's or the Ooh. Bangles. I can yeah, yeah. 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 vacation kind of song. Yeah, that kind of girl rock, kind of yeah, fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what was with that snotty tone of voice that it seemed like all female rock singers had in the early '80s? That. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't just her, it's like, you know, it was the waitresses had that thing going on. There's a lot of bands that, you know, sort of snotty, sort of, hey, I know what boys like. It's kind of probably about it, kind of a big, you know, middle finger to having to be so sexualized. Like, instead of singing like, ah, la, 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 you know, like, but like this kind of like, this is what I have to yeah. say, and so it's so like I kind of, kind of love that tone. But you're right; it's a very, it's like a very '80s. Um, 
Yeah, we got over it eventually, but yes, it was a distinctive thing that was happening back then. Yeah, we should. Yeah, the next shiny album will be. I'm just gonna see. There you go. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Valley Grill Two. It might be. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Some of it is is a is a reaction because I. uh, Who's the the singer for the X Ray Specs? She she would do that a lot too, and that was polystyrene. Yeah, polystyrene, and that was much earlier, you know. Yeah, uh, that's true. It's just this, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really interesting observation hmm. that makes me think about that. Like that hmm. more like intentional delivery. Mm-hmm. And then maybe people are copying it, but someone may be like polystyrene. It's actually an intentional kind of choice. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. What was that? That's right. Same time as that. Uh, I think you'd like, I'd like you better if we slept together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's that? If you slept. Yeah. It's like very yeah. 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 Something tells me they'll never, never say never. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would just. Yes, we cover everything. That's why we stopped writing our own material. Well, I, I was going to say that Xene, I mean, we can address this as we go on to the other songs and stuff too, but like she never gets Xene enough on this album. Yeah. The harmonies are actually pretty, it just sounds like sloppy gang vocals rather than her usual, just like bizarrely twisted, like duet, like har- harmony duet with John where they're kind of chasing each other's like yeah. vocals around a little bit. And that that gives you this kind of uh, macabre sort of weird, yeah, like uneasiness, and it's also kind of it's it's like cool and uneasy at the same time, uh, and yeah, that I, yeah, like, I agree with you. That that's that's prominently on display in a lot of their other. It's both the thing that I love about X and the thing that people who are listening to X for the first time on the better albums will say, God, I can't stand that. Why can't she fucking sing in tune? Well, now she did. See how that worked? That's the coolest part. (laughs) Yeah. Let let tension. You're right. There's a lack of tension in the. Yeah. And I think I think that's what, uh, you know, I was getting to a, a little bit earlier as well, that the what X does really well does not benefit from, from this kind of production. Mm-hmm. I mean, like those first albums, you know, like I, I love them the way they are. I don't want them to have them go back and redo them. But, uh, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with having things recorded really well with a big budget, right? right? That would be, right. you know, that would be great, but they should, uh, but I think, you know, as production wise, they need to be left alone or, um, or yeah. get Jeff Lynn in there. <laughs> Right, yeah, <laughs> because they can do it for real, man. Like that's the thing. Like we've seen tons of live footage with like broken strings and fucked up amplifiers and all. They're putting on a incredibly, you know, no monitors, shit like that, and they're putting yeah. on an amazing, yeah, you know, musically amazing show. You know, with people spilling beer, spraying beer on them and spitting at them and stuff. It's like they can do it for real with like you know if they had drywall buckets and rocks and a half a brick they could put on a you know a compelling <laughs> show and so the fact that all this other crap needs to steamroll their personalities and chops a little bit like you know it, it is really not helping and uh it worked for blink uh, 182 I, I will say yeah <laughs> I, will, I will say the bass sound, i really like the bass sound on this i know it's very more, more modern but especially on uh um 
uh, like under the big black sun, the base is, is like at, at close to uh, injustice for all levels, uh, which is a shame because John Doe is a fantastic bass player and a lot of his really efficient and, and, and slinky kind of clever bass playing um, really anchors the song and is really what you're, you're hanging on. A lot, you know. No offense to Billy, but Billy's kind of the dressing. Mm. You know, he's he's kind of the. It's it's really sophisticated frills, but he's the frills. And so, I'm I on some of the earlier records, I am a little bummed that it's just kind of mixed out yeah. a little bit. It's not it's not as present as it should be. And if you've ever seen him play live, I, I also realize we're in the time of actual vinyl, and that eats up space. You know. Louder, louder bass takes up time. Yeah, and on lower budget records too. It, I think it was it was harder to get to get the, the bass to to really be present in a mix, especially mm-hmm. like you said because they're for they're, it's for vinyl, and, yeah. and it's uh, you know and it's it's a difficult usually, thing to do. Bass usually benefits from vinyl because they do away with a lot of actual low frequencies and right right that's what you have to do the mids yeah. which you can actually hear. And your crappy car stereo or your headphones. And so things on vinyl that, you know, have considerably less bass frequency stuff tend to be much louder and more present because the mids are cranked up in an attempt. That's, to, a, that's another album under the big black sun that has amazing songs on it. Yeah. Like every, every one of them is, is killer and every, every part of it too. Like not, there's nobody who's just doing their, their role for the, two and a half minutes everybody's doing something awesome all the time and now now this oh, shall we <laughs> yeah it, now is your soul crying <laughs> <laughs> could only get better not yet that are just what is it my soul cries your name like, x really that doesn't sound like anything it's, just, it's like taking that yeah. it's the first song on the album that isn't about a building good point you are an astute listener more songs about building and food yeah the X like lyrical content. I mean, one of the things that they address in the, the Unheard Music documentary was how they're. I mean, like Johnny Hit and Run Pauline is like a rape fetish fantasy. You know, like their songs are dark. Mm. Like they have no problem addressing really twisted, yeah. you know, subject matter or whatever. And so to kind of have them be be freely is like what. 
What's good? Did DJ write this one? What's going on? Like they made a choice. I almost feel like they made a choice not to write that kind of song, like not yeah. to do what yeah. they usually do to make it more palatable, like the guitar sound and kind of neutering the drums. It's like it's like it, you hear it and you think there's something there, um, but then my soul cries your name. Doesn't it? It, 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 it I'm thinking it appeals to the masses. Appeals to the masses. <laughs> Or maybe that was that's, the idea. that's some high school poetry shit where somebody was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. Like, right. this is gonna yeah. get me so laid." <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> that, yeah, that's the one where you know I took a few poetry classes and at university, and and that's the one where the professor wouldn't let you talk for the rest of the day yeah. <laughs> if you if you put that one out there. Um, but um, uh, but, but this is I, this is a kind of observ- observation. Um, we did we did a. You know, Detours and Outliers not too long ago with uh, Neil Young's attempt to do 50s music. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and it it was all right. But uh, as a result of that, what I started doing was actually listening to a lot of 50s music. And and one of the things that that um, that I noted right away is this should not be a surprise to me, but um, they're all about sex. No, almost every song, at least at least 80, 90 percent of them about sex. And a lot of it's in in kind of coded language. But I think Mm. I think, you know, in kind of a a repressed environment, you know, as the fifties were that this was a way for young people to actually get access to some useful information. Um, you know, as a result of the, the sixties, the sixties, I think, and you know, the sexual revolution such as it was, I think that the content of rock music, you know, started to change quite a bit, you know, you know, you know, they, they still talk about sex, but you know, you see a lot more drugs involved, you know, as an example, right? Violence. We need to know about these things, right? You know, and so, so, and mom and dad aren't going to tell us, so let's, uh, you know, we can, we can, you know, put on our, our yeah. kiss record, whatever. So, so here's the, uh, here's the, uh, the, the thing though, is that, that X, I think continued that tradition. They were providing valuable information. And then when you go back to this sort of, oh, you know, my soul yearns for you sort of stuff, it, 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 it just, it's just, uh, it, it's not, yeah. it's, it's not even quaint. It just seems like out of place. This absolutely it just doesn't it doesn't fit it doesn't resonate like yeah the voices are there kind of about relationships kind of but yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm gonna paraphrase this story really quickly but it's it was yeah, I, I think it's in the unheard music documentary and a bunch of other places but it's John Doe and Billy Zoom met each other because they had, you know, they'd both placed an ad for bandmates in the recycler. And when they first met up, they were talking and they said they'd both just heard the first Ramones album. And, uh, you know, and they'd they'd read like a a review somewhere about it that just hated it. It was like that album sucks. There's no guitar solos. All the songs are too fast. The the subject matters are, are stupid. The songs are only they're barely a minute long. And like, you know, they were talking about, they were like, yeah, I really like that album. I, I think that's all really good stuff. Like those are the, the best qualities. Of that, yeah. you know? And like, that was really how they kind of uh, uh, first, you know, got to know each other was on this, you know, like in that first Ramones, like, I mean, so many other bands that got into music because of that record, but they were like, yeah, rock and roll songs should be about stupid shit. They should be short and to the point. They should be fast. They shouldn't have a bunch of frilly crap hanging on them. They're rock and roll songs. 
it's like the musical equivalent of of uh, of shitty beer or something. You know, it's not supposed to be. It's not champagne. If you try to make it shitty beer into champagne, you're gonna get sick. You know. So when when did like Dave Edmonds and like the Stray Cats hit really big? Because I'm that was about this time. Because I'm hearing like a lot of rockabilly, and I know for a punk band, X was very country, and I wonder if they played that up on this album at all. Because it feels very. Brian Setsery and the, the guitar solos and such. Billy Zoom, he, you know, he, he, before, you know, like kind of the stray hats, stray cats even hit it, you know, big is Billy Zoom, you know, is playing that Gretsch guitar and, and the early X albums are full of rockabilly riffs, but yeah. it, with a heavy, loud, distorted guitar yeah. right so so it's a so it's a you know it's a very update of that old thing it wasn't it wasn't kind of like the stray cats were more more like they're more like of a a, a review right they're they're taking that old stuff and bringing it back to life i think billy zoom was trying to push things in in this new you know more aggressive aggressive kind of direction yeah um weirdly on this album i think it's held back it is yeah, is, mm. yeah if you're hearing that rockabilly it's much more on the right yeah that sound that billy zoom guitar sound that rockabilly or that country feel is much more pronounced on on there and in fact i feel like it's almost not on this record mm. but but it's interesting that you can hear that you but you hear it though well um, yeah it didn't sound like authentic rockabilly it sounded like you know Stray Cats Rockabilly or Dave Edmonds. It really well, brought that, to mind Dave Edmonds and that, you know, rock pile 80s version of right, rock pile. Yeah. Yeah. Billy's Billy's somewhat older than some of the other cats in the punk scene. And he was he's an incredibly accomplished musician who plays a bunch of instruments. And, you know, while he's primarily known as a rockabilly dude with his, you know, sparkly Gretsch guitars and his the leather jacket and everything. Um, he's a jazzer, man. He's an old school jazzer. He can shred some Joe Pass shit like effortlessly. I mean, he played, uh, you know, with a bunch of rockabilly legends, you know, before and after. I mean, like yeah, Gene Vincent, and, you know, he's in Etta James's band as a ringer. Like he, he has, he, before X started, he was fully accomplished as a rockabilly country and jazz player. And I think he started X because he was kind of like not burned out on that stuff, but just looking for some new way to approach mm. rock and roll that wasn't that was simultaneously like not not glued to tradition, but would still respect the longstanding tradition of the stuff. And, you know, you listen to interviews with him and he's kind of like, yeah, we didn't really you know, need to reinvent rock and roll. It was already perfect and awesome. We just needed to play it for like, you know, it kind of skipped a generation and like, this is the new, the new fresh take on it. And you know, all that stuff they said about the Ramones first album where it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be dumb and too fast and too loud and, and, and short, you know, Kids are dumb and their attention spans are short. Like, give them, give them what they want. And we get to hear some of his saxophone yeah. playing on, on this oh, record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my. <laughs> my goodness. My goodness. What is an 80s rock album without a blazing My goodness always stops when my trouble starts. about me I got all 
the songs on the record, maybe this one. I mean, it's not. It, it, it's, it's atmospheric. I can still do it live if I'm correct. I, I don't know. I always thought it was one of the better ones off the record. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's one that I feel like maybe, um, like, I don't, you know, if any of these songs kind of suit X, this one actually works in this new sound a little bit better than the other ones, um, you know. My goodness. I mean, I think like that the lyrics are kind of interesting too. I remember like I gave up my, I mean, it's, you know, it's evocative and kind of interesting lyrics. I mean, I don't love the way the drums are and the way that it's so tied to this kind of, but I, yeah, I bet live it's, I mean, maybe they did it when we saw it, but I bet live it's really good. And I think it's an okay song. I think this one is an interesting one. Um, it's a tender jam for the ladies. It's a jam. <laughs> a dark. Wouldn't it have benefited by Xene just being just the, the, the pinch more uh, unhinged? Yeah, yeah, it is. No, it's controlled. It is. It's like the whole record. It's all kind of harnessed within this beat, this rhythm and this production. I, right. And we're not feeling that from her. But mm. um, this is like a cowboy junkies outtake, <laughs> you know, there's a name I haven't, but overproduced because I, I think those first couple of cowboy junkies records were recorded live with like, oh, yeah. One, yeah, so, like Trinity sessions. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. As good as this song sounds here. I mean, if you think it's, you know, I think it's, I think it sounds okay. Yeah. It would sound so much better yeah. in a more organic, rougher, real or honest way. But song wise, I feel like the song is better yeah. than the, uh, some of the other yeah. songs maybe. I'm trying yeah. to be po- a little There's bit no positive. Souls. <laughs> no souls crying for anybody. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like it's attempting yeah. to be a big hit single like the last three or four songs, yeah. so, which yeah. that's yeah. a nice change of pace, if nothing else. And I've always loved record. We had one. We had a band conversation about this years ago with um, someone that used to play drums with us, and he would talk about albums, and there'd be like, mm. the first three. I forget what he called it, like the one, two, three, like yeah. the one, two, three punch, and then the fourth one. And I've, I've often thought of that. I think we were talking about the Queens of the Stone Age songs for the deaf. This was a long time ago. I'm like, oh, those first three songs, you're just like, and then the fourth one's a little different. I, I, about, I like that. There's a media reason for that. You know, if we're talking LPs um, and that's, you know, I always call them the Ringo songs. It's like the, the audio as the, as the sample rate decreases, as you get smaller in diameter and farther towards the label, a lot of times there's filler, as the last song on a side because they just need to, you know, they just need to eat up space before the end of the side. And so that's where they'll, you know, they let Ringo have a song or they'll do some, you know, a a backwards soundscape nonsense, filler crap. Um, And, you know, as a guy who primarily grew up listening to CDs and, and cassette tapes, I always wonder, I was like, Man, it's really weird. Like, I always like the first four songs and like the seventh and eighth songs, and then the rest is crap. What's going on with that? And, you know, when I would get those albums on vinyl eventually, I would be like, oh, yeah, it's like the first two or three songs on a side. Huh. Um, there's some notable exceptions. You know, what is it like? Train in Vain. Um, uh, what's the. Uh, uh, Stairway to Heaven, w- w- smash it up, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> stuff like that. That are our last songs on a on a on a side or on a record. That's sort of an, an, an anomaly because they knew that those aren't going to sound very good, yes. and so they would typically put intentionally put filler 
towards the inside of a, a or, or or what they think is filler. Yeah, sometimes exactly. and a like you said, I mean, sometimes that is the best stuff. Yeah. How, how many yeah. times with singles have the, has the B side been the the only thing that you, like you didn't even know that there was an A side to whatever thing because yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. Came, you know. Well, like shall the, we finish this? This this would be the last song on side A. Oh, so it's, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> a, I can't wait. It's a love song. <laughs> This was a dirty dark no place for a beautiful face. So This song is yeah. it. I like this is catchy, and I was taking my run today, listening through it again, and I came back and I was like, you know, I mean, at first I was, you know, when I first heard that, doom, doom, doom. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no! Well, what but, the song, but the song is pretty great. <laughs> but the song is, are you gonna put another chain around my heart? Again, it's getting, it's, I think, catchy. There's some harmony there. I would have opened the record with this song. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's true. I think what they're trying to do with this record, have that big radio hit, but also sound like X and have a little bit of that tension. But to me, this is the one that gets cl- is as close to succeeding. Jenny's opinion. Yeah. I, I, I agree. You know, on uh, I was just going to say, shortly after uh, Billy Zoom left, they put out a live album. Um, X at the... Live at the Fabulous Whiskey yeah, Go Go, yeah, I think was the name of it. This song is on there, and it's good. Yeah, I mean, the, the live version's really good, you know. So this is this is like one of those. Um, it, it reminds me a lot. Uh, I don't know if any if if any of you are familiar with the the Kinks put out this album called Low Budget. Oh yeah, and, and it is it is way overproduced like this. You can hear the overdubs. You know, it's like it's just like what is going on, and then and then most of those songs end up on a live album, and you're like, wow, are those good songs? I mean, they really they really rock, you know. Yeah. And so it's a it was a um, it's just um, I, I think the production is the biggest problem with this album. It reminds me of the, the most quintessential X album from the other album. The most quintessential X song from the albums leading up to this one. Yeah. With where the production isn't, it doesn't totally destroy the song. So you can right, still right. get it. And uh, Yeah. There's still a kernel in there. That yeah. You can, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's those harmonies. It's when you really hear, mm-hmm. like uh, we were saying, McZean um, and John Doe singing together in this almost kind of dissonant way. Um, that's part of the magic of I mean, you, you're, it. This song gets at it for me a little bit. It makes me. It's fantastic tension and release. And in a, in a, in a place where you don't usually hear it in, in songwriting, you know, usually that's, that's written into the song, but it's this like freewheeling, you know, it's not even a harmony. It's this bizarro, yeah. uh, uh, mutated, uh, Oh, seemingly like happening, you know, improvised uh, uh, duet that's in every song. And it, like, it's great. And it's just, I can hear the producer guy yelling at Xene to sing in tune on this yeah. album. <laughs> like, there's so many of these where it's like, I, man, maybe they should have just let her finish that bottle of wine before they yeah. did this, did this <laughs> take. And, and there would have been a couple more, you know, 
Now, American I, Idol could do a duet yeah. version of this and really get it to where it's going. Kelly Clarkson <laughs> yeah. and Clay Aiken. Yeah. You know. Why you got to put chains around my heart? Yeah, go all the way. It's not just pitch either. It, it's the it's it's the phrasing that she uses that I yep. think some of that has been taken away. Yeah, my, yeah. my my friend who saw them years ago in uh, um, in Philadelphia, who is a fantastic singer herself. Um, she she was like she saw that concert and she told me she was like, no, I fully get it now. Um, the thing that they have going on is that Xene is kind of in her own world and doesn't really know how, you know, Western music is supposed to work, but that's fine. Her thing is really highly developed and, and mm-hmm. idiosyncratic and unique. And like John is, has such a strong foot in, in, uh, traditional songwriting and, and harmony and stuff that he can kind of like real time contextualize mm-hmm. what yeah, she's, she's doing. doing and that's kind of the, you know, it's like he'll bend up to make a really, really wrong note not sound right. It won't sound perfect, but all of a sudden it, it belongs where it, it, you know, and I, I, I think that's really the magic of their, their vocal duet thing. And it, I mean, having, you know, having seen John sing live and I've never seen X, I've, I've missed out on him, I'm bummed, but, you know, seeing a bunch of live performances, it's different every time. And it's, you know, uh, tangibly tense and exciting every time. And, uh, yeah. Know. And for the listeners too, like what you're saying that, like, I think that's such a, uh, your friend's description of how, um, they're not doing standard harmonies, but yeah, that, that, that Xena is kind of doing this other thing, but then John Doe, they work with each other in the moment and they kind of push it. And I think the other, like visually, um, when you see them play, I mean, she is kind of like, you know, the band, I mean, Billy Zoom's standing there playing his guitar, the drummer's doing his thing, John Doe's over here, and Exene is kind of dancing around, she might go over here, and it's, it, it, and, and then, but she gets to the microphone when she needs to be, but it is like, she's kind of in this orbit, but she's in the band, but that's part of what, Makes them so, I think, yeah. so great, so interesting and fun to watch live. But like, so like yeah. the, the physicality of it mirrors what just what you described. By the way, I just remembered the solo album that I of hers that I think is unbelievable is called Old Wives Tales. Okay, I'm writing it down right now. Thank you. Great songs. It's a little more country ish, you know, folky country ish, but yeah. but her singing's great. The, the lyrics are fantastic. Cool. But, um, side two. Side two. What's wrong with this? What were they thinking? 
I know those those breakdowns for both New York and Nashville, where they go into a, yeah. like eight seconds of another style of song just to prove that they can. I mean, it's but they can. They're killing <laughs> they, it. They can, <laughs> but it, it does it break up drums the flow. On the funky thing is awesome. The rockabilly breakdown is just tasty as hell. I mean, I, the biggest bummer is like that, like. Billy could have been doing that screaming chicken picking shit over like a bunch of songs already. Like, it would have been awesome. You know? Yeah, you know, compared to, I'd rather have the weird than the dull. Always. Always. Yeah. And that whole spoken word bit, it's like that, uh, what's it, Mickey and Sylvia, Love is Strange. And if he still won't come, then I say, Love a boy. I think that's the root of all your problems. It's just weird. Would this would this have been all better if if Ray was still producing though? I don't. You know, that, yeah, that's, a, that's a good guess. Yeah. That is the question. Like, would that song have ever even? Yeah, per- perhaps he would have said, "Go home and write some better songs." guys and we'll see you in a couple of months I guess <laughs> well you, you know before that song does the genre shift it's a uh, I, I was thinking wow this could be a good poison song <laughs> I'm sure the original lyric was not none of your goddamn business but uh, <laughs> some other lyric that you know would be commercially unacceptable I mean I think again this is an example of the kind of um, you know, just flattened out X, mm-hmm. like kind of just shadowing what the a, a song that would have been that that it should have been trying to conform to a more palatable, you know. To yeah, I, I just yeah, this one I, I doesn't kid it for me. Yeah, it <laughs> um, you know. great B song. Yeah, it reminds me a bit, you know, of uh, that song "True Love," which I think is on more fun in the new world, um, and which is I think a great song. And and uh, but but it has the, the you know these weird. Um, or these non-traditional rhythmic elements that you wouldn't ordinarily find in, in a rock song. And I think that, that it's just done so much better before. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's what's wrong with them. <laughs> I blame her. That's what's wrong with you. <laughs> what's that old expression, Scott? Never meet your heroes? Exactly. Maybe, maybe we're meeting them here. <laughs> Never <laughs> listen to everything your heroes did. Just buy the greatest hits. Shut your mouth. Take all or nothing. I got bad news for you, Scott. This one, like on the anthology, you know, on their compilations and stuff, uh, uh, there's plenty of songs from this album all over their... Uh, well, they only have like five or six <laughs> albums. You got to do something. Yeah, they got to... You know, uh, curiously, there is the, the one, um, 4th of July... Is that the name of the album too? It's like I think I can't remember now. See how we uh, see how we are. See, see, see how, how we are. are. That, you know that that one that one was 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 pretty good, as I said though. But a different. They seemed like a different band without Billy Zoom. They did do one in the 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 nineties called Hey Zeus. I've never heard that. Is that? It's good. I I enjoyed it. Uh, Is it with it, Billy it was, Zoom? No, it's not. It's not with Billy Zoom, uh, but it's uh, it definitely has more of the the kind of older X feel to it. Um, it seems it seems though that that you know, and thematically, it has you know, it, it attaches more to some of that earlier stuff. But uh, I don't know something something. Maybe it was the divorce. I don't know. Um, something seemed to have. Uh, uh, I don't died. Yeah, I, don't I don't know, know what, what happened. happened. Right. You know, in, in, uh, you know, I think when they, they put the band back together 
and they, you know, started touring with Billy Zoom again. I think there's a reason why they they would only play songs from from the first four records. Um, um, you know, maybe they played something from this one too. I don't, I don't know. Not when I not when I saw them. I think it was uh, that was the vibrant that was the vibrant period. That was the magical the magical moment. Yeah. You know? Well, and Billy's had a lot of health problems too, and so I think there are a lot of stories of him going out. I mean, even on the the big uh, um, play, the whole classic out. You know, they, they did a tour for uh, Los Angeles. They, they did a tour for Los Angeles, and they did one for what was the one? The more recent one was for another, but where they were playing a classic album, and a lot of people I know have gone to see him were just like, "Yeah, Billy played great, but he was like, you know, sitting on a stool for." some of it and just look tired. You know, it's like he's an old guy and touring in a rock band and playing gigs every night is hard for people in their twenties, you know? And so, uh, you know, maybe some of that, like when, when he rejoined the band, maybe he was just kind of tired and beat up from it. Like, crappy job <laughs> i saw when they first got back together he was he was pretty vibrant yeah oh, well you know as vibrant as he is standing there with his legs yeah, spread yeah, apart yeah. and smiling right the whole yeah, yeah go, but, uh, go on youtube and watch billy zoom play guitar like even in in his heyday he's uh he there's has nobody a, like it he's got a signature stance and look <laughs> it's uh um this this weirdly this this next song is a is a song by the small faces and it doesn't appear on their cd which is weird. Yeah, but it's it's on the vinyl, and I and it's also you know I listen to it. It's you know why would you cover small faces? I don't know, but it's all or nothing. Seriously, why would you ever cover the small faces when you can cover Badfinger? Yeah. I mean, this sounds like Baby Blue, just not as good. Cover, cover Badfinger. Nice Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to um, give a, a, another podcast shout out to the uh, the, uh, the No Dogs in Space podcast, which had a great series about the Damned, and one of the things that they brought up was. Uh, that the damned were masters went at their best anyways were masters of the delayed oh fuck yeah kind of like the song's just okay until the chorus comes in but then the chorus like it's a slow burn to something really cool x is also really really good at that like they have a bunch of songs where it's like the song's fine it's okay it sounds like an x song and then like a minute in you're like okay this is absolutely badass and awesome and this album, like pretty much every song in this album is kind of like the first part of that. Like, <laughs> they forgot to do the slow burn the, without the burn. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am interested yeah. in whose choice it was to cover this yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. Was the bands or the producers or and that may be why it's not on the CD. They couldn't get the, uh, the publishing rights again or whatever. Although it's on yeah. the deluxe version of the CD as a bonus track, but I'm like, no, it's, it's on the album. 
And they are, you know, allegedly trying to sell the hell out and cash in so they can not keep killing themselves on the road. Right. That's the goal. Yes. Why? Why wouldn't you when you cover something to get a hit like you cover something that is so beloved that like people are going to love it. Like if it's being played backwards by Alvin and the Chipmunks, you know, well, like their their cover of. (laughs) Their cover of Breathless was a hit. Their cover of Wild Thing. That may be the major league. I was going to say that that may be the only X song I'd heard prior to this. I'm like, oh, I remember that that movie. That was a horrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) Beloved by by teenage boys everywhere. Briefly. Yeah. They licensed it to, uh, uh, I think, Major League Baseball to be played in stadiums. And I, I can't even imagine how much they got for that. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, when you think about that, like, oh, my God, Jack White, not only does he never have to work again, his grandchildren never have to work again. Just from that, that, the money that comes in off that from pro sports is, and college sports. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gary Glitter, that guy. No one would know who he was if it wasn't for a rock and roll part two yeah. being played in stadiums everywhere. And I think we'd all be happier if we didn't know who he was. No, no, no. Totally on a, on a non completely non-related tangent, but since we just did mention Gary Glitter, you know that na 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 na. Hey, right? That 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 started that becoming a sports anthem started here in Colorado during. Colorado Rockies hockey games. So this was before there was a Rockies baseball team. The professional hockey team was the Rockies. They later moved to New Jersey and became the New Jersey Devils. But uh, they were playing it there, and somehow it just ignited. People know all the words. Hey. Yeah. (laughs) So so Colorado's famous for a lot of things. We we have that and the Sand Creek Massacre and... um, uh, winger the Ludlow massacre and the, yeah winger right so no all the from Colorado. <laughs> sorry all right is Chip Winger a Denver native moving forward sexy sax man time oh yeah I'm gonna hang that picture where it's supposed to be then I think I'll get up and watch the sun going on yeah too, i guess there's too much production like there's it's, it just feels like there's that that is just a crowded there's just too the song is not that great but you know but maybe if it had a little more room to breathe without so many so much stuff happening you could i don't know but it feels like it's just um there's just too many too much was thrown at that to me, what I can't believe is that was not used in a film in the 80s over the ending credits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, that is the most uh, commercially 
straight ahead 80s pop rock song in the album. And I just can't believe no one's used it, especially with the lyrics, the sun going down. And, you know, you can see the cops walking off you know, the partners. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. And, and the, yeah, and the, the singing, the singing sounds good on this one. You know, it does that. Uh, what was that? What was it? Was it those disco albums that we were listening to where you always know the name of the song because the singer keeps repeating it? It's like, that's what it's sort of like. It's like, they, they, it's like, well, I don't know what else to say. I'll just say the same thing again. It, and he and makes, I'd like to go out and buy that Keen 45. Uh, what was the name of that song? Uh, <laughs> it makes watching the sun go down sound as exciting as watching paint right. dry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. I guess they will just watch the rotation of the earth. <laughs> it's not exactly inspiring. There's a lot of songs on this album that wouldn't be out of place at like a... A high school. Oh, yeah. It's sappy. Is maybe sappy like a kind of a an issue with this, yeah. this thing? And I think the theme of the dance could indeed be Ain't Love Grand. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I wonder if any host stay up till nine and watch the sun go down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a high school prom theme. Yeah. Somebody spiked the punch. And the next one is one that I I, I really am interested in. And it also goes with this theme of the dance, I think, as well. I'll stand up for you. Oh, yes, this is the monster ballad. Get out your letters. to make such sacrifices. He's willing to take the Greyhound bus for you. I love I love this song because, I mean, I don't, I, you know, what I, what's interesting to me about this song is it's got that rock ballad, like, you know, um, I'll be there for you. you think power ballad. Power ballad, right. Yeah. Power ballad, I'll be there for you, I'll stand up for you. But some of those lyrics, like, I wore them down because I was like, what is he saying here? So what the hell? I'll take a Greyhound bus for you. So it's like, I'll stand up for you is grandiose. And I was like, what the hell? I'll take a Greyhound bus for you. And then later he sings, honey, honey, everyone thinks we're trash. So, so I take it out on you. That's not a good thing. No, and then she sings, I'm sorry, the beer's all gone. Um, that's, that's exactly the wrong time to pick a fight with you. Honey, what the hell? Let's call it a night. Like those lyrics, though, to me are like, that's... What I like about it. yeah, it's that, like a story. that's the makings of a good song. And, but, and then it pulls away, and then like I'll stand up for mm-hmm. you, it's just, which is just it's it's a bizarre and it, combo. It, it totally reminds me because yeah, I think the same way. Like lyrically, that's like the most X I think on the album. But it reminds me of when um, the Cult, after Love recorded, uh, uh, what was the the big album they had, Love Removal Machine. Love removal machine. Yeah. Uh, the name of the album? No, no. What was the name? Um, electric. Electric or Rise or something. I can't remember now. They recorded Electric, the whole album, with a different producer. And if you, I think it's on YouTube. And you, well, hell, it's probably re-released by now. 
but they recorded the whole album and it sounds like love. It is super cool. And then, you know, they went with Rick Rubin and it's the same songs, but completely different production. And in her case, also cool. But I really wonder what this album would sound like with a different producer. And this is one song that to me is like, I could totally see this being an X song on a lower album. Just right, yeah. right. You know, kind of a, a serious look at a relationship. The course would be more sarcastic or sardonic than yeah. you know yeah. inspiring. Yeah, it would be. It would be. You, Rick Rubin's real famous for his subtle touch. In production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. of Rick Rubin, um, what this album, uh, doing this project or thinking through this album with you guys, um, made me think of the band The Gossip. Do you know the, that band? Mm. That and they're not uh, Beth Ditto. I think now she's solo, but The Gossip is one of my favorite bands. Um, out of Portland, right? And they, yeah, but yeah. they're in many ways like X, but like, a, a th- but they're a three piece and oh, it's like punk. Oh, so good. So good. So the, good. Beth Ditto, the singer, is an amazing singer. And they had, I don't know, maybe four or five records, um, a real low five. Some got, uh, who's the guy that produced the one that we love, Standing in the Way of Control? Oh, the guy from, uh, I think. Fugazi. Fugazi. Yeah, Brendan Cantor. Yeah, and it was yeah. great. And then, so they started to get some traction. And then they made a record with Rick Rubin, which for them was like huge, right? And the, and that record, right. everyone was excited for it. Yeah. And it's like this record. It's just, there's, it's, it's the, just flattened yeah. out. Everything that made the gossip great. I mean, Beth Ditto's voice sounds great. It's like, it sort of sounds like that band, but it's just... And I, that's kind of what I think of when I'm thinking of this record. Although, you know, Rick Rubin didn't put like kind of really bad 80s yeah, <laughs> metal yeah, production, it's... but it's just like what made the magic happen. You have to really know the gossip before you mm-hmm. listen to that record. Yes, yeah, to- two totally different bands. It's And so anyway. But they also then, too, the gossip did admit that they really didn't have the songs. They, they talked about that, yeah. Yeah, and they had and, so many great albums before. That kind of look, I think, maybe this is the case too. Yeah. Just, well, yeah, it's a lot easier to let producers do whatever they want to your songs when you don't care about the song that yeah. much yeah. yourself. So I think that may have been Right, you just hope that maybe it. they'll yeah. make the magic happen because it's really not happening. Yeah. I, I, I can't come up with crap, you fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here's something. <laughs> <laughs> The story that I always remember, you know, producer wise is Devo working with Brian Eno on the first, you know, the Devo album. And just that Devo had been a band, you know, had been crafting songs and recording themselves for years. And, you know, they're really happy to get to work with their their dream producer. But Brian Eno tried to get him to do a bunch of Brian Eno shit. And Devo was pretty much like, no, dude, like these, this is how the song goes. This is what we want it to sound like. We have this all figured. Like, just go like. Just leave us alone. We don't care that you're a big deal or anything like that. Like we, we know what we want the finished product to sound like. You can help us get there or stay the hell out of our way. But you know, that's kind of interesting. We should thing have with Timbaland producers. produce this. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and I'd, like to hear I'd like to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a, the last album we did was, um, um, Chris Cornell's album Scream. Oh, and uh, uh, it's uh, and and it's basically uh, Timbaland does all the beats, and and Chris Cornell sings pop songs over the top, you know, like he's um, some mutated male version of Adele or something. I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's it, I think it's worth a listen just so you can let your jaw drop. But that's about it. 
didn't even know <laughs> if, about if you guys have record. seen john doe play any time in recent history you've probably heard the anecdote about him he has a he has a song a, a solo john doe song on the black snake moan soundtrack and he tells a story about getting a call from his publisher about hey there's this they want you to do one of your so- use one of your songs for this soundtrack and he's like yeah well, like who's in the movie and he was like Oh man, it's you know uh, 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 Samuel L. Jackson and Christina Ricci, and, and he's like, "Holy shit, yeah, that sounds like I'm gonna make a lot of money." And he's like, "Who else is on the thing?" And he like names all these like big time like hip hop producers and stuff. And he was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna be rich! Like this is gonna be awesome." <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, they can use my song." And he was like, "Yeah, and we all know how that worked out. So here's the song." <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Roadhouse, the John Doe's and that, so that that counts, oh, right? Okay, so the band in Roadhouse, other than B, was that Jeff Healy? Yeah. Right? The band behind him, it's not the plugs exactly, but it's like it was like Tito and the Tarantulas, which was like that it was it was that it was that band. So it's like kinda the plugs and Jeff Healy in Roadhouse as the band. It's a cool. perfect movie. I forgot the plugs what happened. I think we can all agree that it's a perfect film. Uh, yeah, John Doe does have a, an acting career. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. he was in Great great Bowls of Fire. You know, he played... Yeah, uh, Boogie Nights. We watched Boogie Nights the other day. He's, he's uh, uh, Julian Moore's uh, uh, ex-husband who... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in the courtroom scene. He's yeah. in that Allison Anders film. Yeah. Um, about Hollywood, right? Yeah, I was that name. Sugar Town? Maybe Sugar Town. Was it Sugar Town? That, yeah. But he kind of plays yeah. himself. But it, yeah, he's a good actor. He's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, I, I keep this super duper short, but the, one of the times I saw John Doe at the Lion's Lair, I'm sitting there drinking with my friends at the bar. We're at the show super early, and there's a guy at the end of the bar who's just hunched over a whiskey and a beer and not really drinking them, but he's sipping away for like hours. And first band goes on, second band goes on, third opening act is on. We're looking around. It's like, where, where's John Doe? And at some point, the guy who's been sitting right next to me gets up, like kind of straightens up his shitty posture, takes off his jacket, goes over into the corner booth, puts on his his like silver tipped cowboy shirt and a jacket and grabs a guitar and goes up on stage and I swear I like watched him do the wave his hand in front of his oh. face and like step into character as rock star guy. And I was like, whoa, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then wow. play an incredible show for like two hours. And it was just he was just looked like this tired old guy at the bar who I did not mistake for a, hmm. a famously handsome rock and roll troubadour. But he was just like, OK, time to do my job. Here we go. And, you know, proceeded to do it. So pretty cool. Yeah. Well, apparently this next song, uh, Little Honey, was co-written by Dave Alvin. Oh. Um, you know, Billy Zoom hadn't left yet. You already got the uh, co <laughs> the new guitar writing songs. It's kind of mean. The light left on the door open wide. 
that the yeah. one that starts with the motorcycle? Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely very leader of the pack. <laughs> 1950s greaser flashback kind of Ramones at half speed kind of song. That's uh, that's Dave Elvin. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if it was faster and just mm. a little faster, messier, it would be. It's kind of catchy. Yeah, a little, a little more going on with the drums. I think would help yeah, a lot. I think so. It's not bad. You know, it, I'm not offended mm. by it, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Doesn't hurt my feelings, but I'm not jazzed by it. Yeah. Probably where we're at with this album in general. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, okay, uh, can we be done now? <laughs> I don't know. Hold on. There's a couple more. They might. They they probably saved the best for last. If this is the penultimate track. We got one more to go, and it's super. Well, I think this is the one with the, the automotive sound effects, but yeah, the, they, the last few songs are really dire. seems like a a bit of a sellout to me in in this sense is um you know they do have on their earlier albums they have that song the unheard music and uh one of the lines is uh you know it, it goes you know that noble set of drum drum drums and i think what they was there was it was a it was a sardonic comment a sarcastic comment about that relentless huge snare going whack 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 on the two and four with you know just um you know metronomic accuracy and um way too loud mixed way too loud in the mix right right and and that uh, was the 80s which was the 80s and and here they are doing, doing that very thing yeah Mountain Dew Code Red is supercharged with Gwynar. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't used this as a commercial. It's extreme and supercharged with electrolytes. Yeah, you can almost see it with a motorcycle. There could be a, you yeah. know, the, uh, yeah. the visuals are there. Yeah. The, I think I think that the, the end of this record, as I've been listening to it, it, it does lose me. <laughs> as much as I'm trying to, trying to be there for it as yeah. in these songs, I oh, think yeah. I, once I get get here, I just the fatigue sets in. <laughs> yeah. the, the work that it takes is just. It's not a long album, but yeah, it, it uh, could have done some it editing. Feels like it sometimes. Yeah, they they said what they came to say. Uh, on the first side. Yeah. I think so. I, I think we could maybe get like five songs, you know, maybe like a five song EP. That would be, you know, an outlier for Acceptable. <laughs> but like, but a right. two side, yeah, but all this stuff is, there's a lot of just, mm. should never have happened, should have been left off, should never have been recorded. <laughs> yeah. Should never have been thought of. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 
So what, I mean, I, I don't know like the history of X as much. I'm just the basics here and there. What happened after this, this album and Billy Zoom left? I mean, did they do a lot of touring? Did they? Yeah, they, they still toured. They did, they did tour that um, See How You Are album. I, I saw them on, on that tour, and it was it Tony Gilkison was their guitar player. Who was that? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. He was really good. the The problem is, is that that uh, um, you know, Gilkison and also you know Dave El- Elvin and that they they're definitely more of you know traditional rockabilly, you know, country rockabilly kind of players. Yeah, you know, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't being progressive about their playing the way Billy Zoom was, mm-hmm. and so so there seemed to be a. It seemed to always be a bit of a reach for them when they played the heavier music. Mm. You know, when, when they did, uh, when they did the more, the, the more folky kind of stuff, when they did, you know, the more ballady kind of stuff, you know, I think it, it all sounded really good when they're doing Johnny hit and run Pauline, it sounded a bit more like a cover band, uh, okay. you, you, you know, than, than, uh, than, than anything else. And, and, uh, they, you know, and they, they, they kind of, they never officially disbanded, I think, but, mm-hmm. but they, they kind of went dormant. Um, John and Xene went on to their own kind of solo careers. They would help each other out once in a while. Um, like Logan was saying, um, DJ Bonebreak, um, he's, he's got, um, he's got some, um, you know, academic kind of, uh, angles to what, what he does musically. And, uh, um, uh, but, but, you know, when, whenever the, uh, I think it, it was partly the result of the, uh, the post post grunge punk rock, I wouldn't call it an explosion, but thing that happened in the late nineties, yeah. early noughties, um, it kind of opened the way for older bands like X to regroup, you know, and I think yeah. like the Pixies did the same thing. I, yeah, I was going to say the Pixies and, were doing their, their reunion tour. Like nobody gave a shit the first time. So let's try to make a money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think X's uh, tours since then focusing on the old material with Billy Zoom had been far more successful in terms of. I was wondering that. Yeah. Like they played at the, uh, here in Denver, they played at the Ogden. I saw them at the Ogden, uh, a couple of times. Um, and speaking of the lion's Lair, yeah, after, after their set at the Ogden, a buddy I went to see it with, we went to the lion's Lair to have a drink and who walks in, but John Doe. Huh. Um, I, and he's just hanging out. I really wanted to talk to him, but, but, um, all the all the young women in the the crowd just sort of attach themselves. What a But yeah, so so I mean, it's good for them. I'm like, yeah, you know, more power to you. But it's you know, but it it's kind of like you know, it's sort of like uh, it's no different, I guess, than than those phenomenon uh, like. Um, the Beach Boys get um, Brian Wilson back, you know, so you want to go see him. But um, it, it's still not the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys, right? Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. Matt, you brought up the the kind of grunge alt-rock thing, and it, it makes me... Uh, so, you know, like, grunge, you know, most, uh, you know, exemplified by Nirvana and Soundgarden and those kind of bands in the, the like, early 90s early and mid nineties and then on into alt rock hell on earth. Um, <laughs> uh, like those bands all kind of evolved out of punk bands. And there's an interesting yeah. period in the mid eighties where you, there's this divergence between uh, like there were two paths, like the path split 
in one way was kind of nerdy and smart and one way was kind of just ham-fisted and dumb and both were good but it's like you get like the Minutemen splitting off into fire hose on one hand and you get like you know the more intricate parts of like fishbone which is like the superior chili peppers you know but we got the chili peppers and but then you have like the mud honey stuff and things like that and it's like there was a for a while they kind of coexisted as both the kind of clever grown-up version of punk and the no, we still just want to be snotty and pissed off version, which is kind of what won out eventually with Nirvana. And so for a little while in the, you know, from the, you know, like what mid 80s to the late 80s and early 90s, there were these two sort of like concurrent grown up evolutions of, you know, what started out as really unhinged, crazy American hardcore punk rock. And one of them did, you know, find its its mainstream success with with, you know, what with, now we we now call grunge and the other one just kind of, it's still around, but I think X was weirdly kind of in the more clever grown up side of that. Yeah. And and I think they just had the misfortune of like, yeah, sorry, that one lost. <laughs> Two paths diverged in a yellow wood, and, well, you picked wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, love Grant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's behind door number two? <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. The record industry is, is a fickle, fickle, fickle business. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So, yeah, Oingo Boingo would be on the, like, you know, they evolved out of, like, punk rock, but they were, like, smart it was it was like the clever nerdy version i mean even stuff like they might be giants mm-hmm. as their roots in, in in punk rock they were kind of a punk band early on but they were like you know not not singing about stupid stuff and not that stupid stuff is bad but if there yeah. was the there was like the grown-up yuppie dad version of punk rock and then the <laughs> and then there's the full-on nickelback right yeah, there's the full on Nickelback. Yeah, there's, there's never go full out. Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If this isn't the album I should have been listening to, which one should I have been listening to, or do we have a consensus? All four of the first four. First four. I, I, that's what I would say. The first four, pick any one of them. You're gonna you're gonna love them. The first two were independent releases or small label releases. The next two, the fidelity's a little better. Right, but but it's essentially still the same kind of kind of music. There you go. I like. I mean, Los Angeles is the one under the big black sun and uh, more fun in the new world are my. Didn't they just put out one like a month ago or something? Yeah, they did. I just saw that. We are terrible at our job here. (laughs) (laughs) Are we? (laughs) X just put out a record. Yeah, I thought I read as well, and I forgot about it. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. I'm sure if they, if they listen to this podcast, they'll be like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? We're playing a new album. That's a mystery. We want to promote your album, but we can't find you on the internet. We'll never have a hit. <laughs> Digitally released in April 2020. <laughs> uh, Rob Schnaff produced it. Really? Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, so so uh, uh, Scott had shared with us a, a review of um, this particular album, and the reviewer basically said, uh, to paraphrase, um, "You should just bury this album and just pretend it never ever happened, and you know the legacy of X will be secure." Um, and uh, um, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I'm okay with that. I kind of like owning the actual vinyl of this record, so I'm you know. It doesn't tarnish them, but it's not helping either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, thinking about it in the context, if I think if you love a band um, and, or an artist, you know, um, having, I like having every, like having everything, even the things that are um, kind of the stickers yeah. or whatever. And so, but I can see where if, um, this was the first thing you heard. If this is the first thing you listened to with X, then they would be doing the band a disservice. Um, yeah. So I can see like if a reviewer is like, just hide it so people don't hear this and think that this is what you sound like. Um, keep all that great stuff out there. Because mm -hmm. I read a couple reviews. I read one um, on All Music. And, I, and I, it actually was quite kind. I, I was expecting that it to be like, you know, um, very like for it to eviscerate the, the, the album. But it basically, but, but it basically said it's just a misfire. You said, you know, um, yeah. the, the, the band is there, like all the players are there, their voices are there. It's just, you know, I think kind of what we've sort of come to here is it just, it's just a shadow of the band. It's just a kind of a misrepresentation. Although there's some nuggets, there's a, if you know the band, you can feel the sparks, I think. Um, I'll take a Greyhound bus with you. I mean, I love that. <laughs> um, you know, what the hell? I'll take yeah. a Greyhound bus with you. I mean... That's brilliant. That's a brilliant line. Yeah, it is. I think <laughs> it's, 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 it's descriptive. And it's, John, it's, no, uh, I'll take a Greyhound bus with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like of, of all the awful things that I would endure to be with you, that, you know, that fits right into that. It does. Right? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not something I do for just anybody. Uh, right. I, I, I would do anything for love, but I wouldn't you. do that. <laughs> and it starts with, what the hell? <laughs> Such a commitment. Why not? <laughs> sort of a shrug. Yeah, yeah. I guess that'll probably wrap it up for this album. Let's Tell us more about Shiny Around the Edges. I mean, where can we find you on the internet since clearly no one can see anyone live ever again? Yeah. <laughs> we are making music in our bedroom now. Yeah. We, yeah. we have always seen it. Uh, you can, anywhere you can stream music. We're, you know, we're Spotify, Deezer, Apple Music, um, Bandcamp. Uh, all, we're everywhere there. YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. We we're, have a couple new videos, yeah, newish videos that we produced with friends and stuff that yeah. came out. So um, yeah, and uh, kind of cool. Yeah, everything's out except for our debut album, which we're, we'll probably re-release. We actually had a deal that um, would have been through, I think, Rough Trade at the time was a distributor, and they had soon as our it came out on Sounds Are Active. And like literally the day before Rough Trade collapsed, their whole distribution yeah. system. And so the, our digital distribution, it never was digitally distributed. So now in hindsight, it's kind of like cool because now that we, you know, we have the rights to it, we can re-release it and we don't have to worry about, you know, the Spotify, I mean, not that the seven there's, cents there's will so make on Spotify. There's so much money to be made. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Three of those cents don't have to go to a distributor. <laughs> We're all living on our huge Spotify paychecks. Yes, yes. I'd, I'd like to recommend both of John's uh, uh, recent books, um, the uh, More Fun in the New World and uh, uh, Under the Big Black Sun. I think there's both uh, hard copies and like an audible or audiobook version that is read by him as well as uh, a lot of other people. I mean, I think the Dave Alvin chapter is read by Dave Alvin. Uh, you know, uh, Norwood from Fishbone reads his oh, cool. his bits, and uh, and they're great. It's a lot of important punk rock history. You can find out where uh, 
you know, a lot of your favorite bands uh, 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 stole shit from. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And did we know what the, the name of their new record is? I'm trying to. Alphabet Land. Alphabet Land. Okay. See? And I'm, just like Robbie, Super Great. Robbie Krieger is on it. <laughs> Oh, that's hopefully, hopefully that album will not appear on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we don't want the white. <laughs> It'll be referenced, and, yeah. you know, as it, unless it's just weirdly brilliant, that would be okay. It's a swing album. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, all horns. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Yeah. I was going to say that I used to fancy myself a bit of a musical completist, but this podcast is sort of curing me of that. So I just listen to stuff on YouTube now if I know it's going to be a. A weird one. Well, we do at this time humbly ask that you take a minute to go into whatever podcasting application you are currently employing and, uh, you know, write us a review. Rate us. Um, let us know that you exist and we aren't crazy. And as always, you can drop us an email at uh, detoursandoutliers at gmail.com if you have any ideas for future albums we should do. Uh, and unless anyone else has anything else to add... I guess tune in next week when we try and figure out who this artist is. Yeah, I'm so fragile and delicate, handle with care. So fragile and delicate, handle with care.